0: with me as we get started. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this afternoon. Thank you for the opportunity to come together um, as church, to be together in community, to find ways to um, grow in love with one another and with you. Right now, Lord, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place, that we would be led and guided by you specifically as we dive into your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alright, we are in Genesis. That's no surprise. We've been there for a while. It took us, I think, a couple months just to get through Genesis 1. So here we are today. And last week, we dived right into Genesis chapter 22 with the binding of Isaac, the Akedah. And Kevin talked a lot about what that scene meant and what it meant to um, trust God with that which is most precious to us. Well, in Genesis chapter 23, Sarah dies. And Abraham is going to go and find a place and secure a burial place for, his, for Sarah, for his wife. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting things in that whole chapter that you should go and read and, and investigate about how to purchase land and how Abraham makes sure that he has a place that's his, that's not just given to him as a gift, but he, he's paid for. All of those interesting things. We have Sarah's death in chapter 23, and today we're going to dive right into chapter 24. And the title of our message is, Well, well, well. So right in chapter 24, we have after Sarah's death at the beginning of 23 and our great brick testament providing us the wonderful images that it always does, um, we have the story. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab one. If you don't have one, you want to just read along with me online, you can do up on the screen. You can do so as well. And there's Bibles right there that Miss Kendra has available. So if anybody wants one, raise your hand and she'll make sure to Throw one your way. There we go. A couple Bibles. Great. Um, Here at Spark, we like to really dig on into the text and let all of us wrestle and ask questions and try to understand what's going on. So that's what we're going to do. All right, Genesis chapter 24, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman's unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. We'll just stop right there for a minute. What's going on here? Sarah, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) Sarah has just (coughs) died (coughs) in chapter 23 And Abraham is sitting with a son who's near 40 years old and is not yet married, and there are no grandkids yet. And Abraham is saying to his servant, you need to go and find a bride for Isaac, but it can't be from among the Canaanites here. We can't intermarry with these people here in this land. Now, he's attached himself to the land, God's promised land and descendants. He attached himself to land by procuring that property, that graveside, the cave for Sarah's burial. But he's still asking this question of where is the offspring going to come? So we need to secure a wife for Isaac. I need to make sure that this promise is going to happen how will I know? Now I've got this land bit sort of settled, but I need to really secure this wife bit. And no, you can't take Isaac out of the land. I need him to also stay here. So Abraham's concerned about all this. And then he does this weird thing, take your hand and put it under my thigh, which is, she should put in quotes, and, and promise. So they have this weird moment of promise that that's exactly how you guys make a deal today, right? Shake, you shake hands, but you shake thighs. Is that how it goes? So we're kind of not quite sure exactly what this is about, but maybe it has something to do with, like, promise essentially the very essence of your being, your own offspring, your own seed, that you will do this for mine. And so they make this promise. So the servant leaves, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master, and he sets out for Aram Naharim and makes his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. That makes sense, right? That's when you're going to go and and find. What's he on the lookout for? A woman. Yeah. Then he prayed. "'Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today "'and show kindness to my master Abraham. "'See, I'm standing beside this spring, "'and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. "'May it be that when I say to a young woman, "'Please let down your jar that I may have a drink,' "'and she says, "'Drink, and I'll water your camels too. "'Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac, "'and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master.'" This is the first occurrence in our text of somebody having a spontaneous prayer to the Lord. Just stopping and praying. And and later on in this chapter, this is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, by the way. We'll get through the whole thing tonight. Don't you worry. And so as we're sitting there in the middle of this chapter, even later on, he'll say, and I prayed this prayer from my heart. That this sort of spontaneous movement, like he just goes, God, please be kind to my servant Abraham. Remember your promises to him. And he prays this right out of his heart in that moment. And he prays something very specific, doesn't he? I want her to say this. And I want her to do this. I want her to get camel, water for 10 camels. That's what I want to have happen. Before he had even finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulders, and she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor this is family. This isn't a stranger. She's related. She's Abraham's grandniece. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar, just a little sip. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. do you love how the narrator kind of gives you a whole pause there? Like, so if you go back, drink, my lord. She quickly lowers the jar and she gives him a drink, but we don't get anything left. We're waiting for that next bit. After she'd given him a drink, after he satiated his thirst, now we find out she's the one. I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels. And without saying a word, the man watches her closely to learn whether or not the Lord has made his journey successful. Now, camels need at least 25 gallons of water or 10 minutes of constant drinking to regain the weight lost in the course of a long journey. We don't know exactly how far they had come just that last bit, but if she's pulling up water for all those camels and if one really hefty jar and she's hefty holds like three gallons of water, that's a lot of work. And he's sitting back going, I wonder if she's the one, right? He's just going to wait and make sure it's like all of the whole amount. For all nine camels, it's not enough. It's got to be all ten camels that are going to get enough water to drink in this moment. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a beka and two gold bracelets, wearing ten shekels. And then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Isn't that exactly how your marriage proposal went? Right? Exactly. I mean, Kevin, he didn't start with the ring. He just went, boom, right there, nose ring, just clipped it on in, and we started right away. This is a betrothal ceremony right here at this well. And this is exactly how we would expect things to start to happen. But interestingly, Rebecca is there, but her brother is not there yet. Her father is not there yet. But they're having this exchange down by the well. And Isaac's not there either. This betrothal is happening by proxy, right? So, you know, when Kevin, you know, proposed to me, he had somebody come and ask for, right? It's like junior high. Hey, check this box. Yes or no. Will you? Yeah. Okay. And then, okay, I'll go tell him. So by proxy, the servant asks, and Rebecca takes these things, and she answers him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. Now here we've put in here just a nice little graphic for y'all to see how they are all related, okay? And then she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. And I only put that graphic there because I think a lot of us today would be like, what is that young girl doing talking to that strange man down by the well, accepting jewelry and then bringing him back home into the household, right? This doesn't make any sense to us in our culture. But in their culture, they're not strangers. They may not know each other, but they wouldn't use the word stranger or ger in Hebrew for one another because they're family. They're from the same tribe, essentially. They have the same household. And and how that sort of nomadic shepherd lifestyle works is that if I know where you belong and I know what household you are set into, then you are safe. And I treat you with that type of respect. So the man bows down and worships the Lord, saying, "'Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, "'who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master.'" As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. And the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard Rebecca tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Notice that Laban's first thing that he's looking for is how much loot she just got this is the narrator's way of sort of flashing a little bit of foretelling to you. Hey, just so you know, Laban's going to be interested in stuff. Laban's going to have a little bit of an issue with greed. This is going to come up in a couple chapters with Jacob, right? Isn't it so fun that the narrator just likes to slide this little bit? And he doesn't say Laban's greedy. He doesn't say Laban likes shiny things. He just goes, by the way, that's what he noticed first. And then he runs. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. I saw that bracelet. And why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and I have a place for your camels. And so the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded and straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. And then the food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. And then at this point, the whole chapter retells everything I just told you. He retells nearly word for word, not quite, and there's some interesting things to compare and contrast, and you can go and, and look at that someday. But he retells the entire story near word for word. I love this because it actually is such a beautiful echo of how this story was originally told. By campfires, late at night, sitting with the kids, and then what happened? And then he said this, and they retell it again, exactly with a few little nuances. And they retell that story over and over and over again. You wonder how we walk around with our Bibles. It's because people have been telling these stories over and over and over again until they had the time when they were written down. And now that they're in our little pocket Bibles and on our electronic devices, right? So he retells the whole story, which I won't do here. So we're going to skip ahead to to verse 50. So Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca, take her and go. And let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. That's exactly how you want your family to respond, right? <laughs> We've never met the guy, but this sounds good. Go ahead. We like that bracelet. Fantastic. So when Abraham's servant heard what, he, heard what he said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. And the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. And then he also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so, and then you may go. The Hebrew there is kind of unique. We're not quite sure if it's exactly 10 days or if it's let her stay here for a year and 10 days. It's not exactly sure. Or for a while, the Septuagint, sort of 10 days and on, and then you may go. But instead, in verse 56, he said to them, don't detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I can go to my master. And then they said, let's call the young woman and we'll ask her about it. This is a really interesting thing. Women aren't hardly ever asked, would you like to go now with this man? Instead, they're just sort of going, go, take, see ya, goodbye. But Rebecca is the kind of woman apparently you need to ask. I like that about her. So they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? And she says, I will go. So she goes. She she looks a little concerned, the mother. But Rebecca's going to go. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way. And along with her nurse, she doesn't go alone, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said, this is exactly the blessing that happens for all of us at our wedding series. Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands and may your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Good job. All right. Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. So they go with their blessing. Now Isaac had come from Be'er Lahai, Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev, and he went out to the field one evening to meditate. This word again in Hebrew, we're not quite sure. Is he going out for a stroll? Is he going out to meditate? Is he going out to pray? It's the only time this word occurs. We're not exactly sure what it means. So he goes out to the field one evening to meditate or pray or stroll, and as he looks up, he sees the camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac, and she got down from her camel and asked, Who's that man? in the field coming to meet us. He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. And he married Rebekah, took Rebekah as his wife. She became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay, that's our chapter. That word love there is the second occurrence of the word love in the Hebrew Bible. The first time Kevin told you about last week. What's the first time? Genesis chapter 22, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, right? And now, so we first understand that the word love should be defined in our story as that sort of intimate relationship between a father and a son. And now we're told that really an additional way that the word love should be understood is between a husband and a wife, that Isaac loved Rebecca, And that in bringing her into his life, In becoming one with her, he was comforted for his mother's passing. Now, right after this chapter ends, eight verses later, Abraham dies. And this is what I want to look at today. I want to look at the fact that this is life. That love stories happen right between the death of a mother and the death of a father that oftentimes we think that the love story is so beautiful. The way we write them in Hollywood is we make these beautiful stories where, you know, they take the Myers-Briggs test and they find out they're compatible. And then they do their five love languages, right? Like, these are all the rules, right? At least our Christian Hollywood love story. We do the pre-engagement counseling. We make sure that we're compatible for all the various things. We make sure it all works. And then we talk about how it's all going to... In this story, what is it? Hey, will you go? Yeah, I'll go. Okay, here she is. And he loved her. And it's a very simplistic story, but it's a beautiful story because it's set right in the midst of suffering and loss. Isaac loses his mother, and he's left at that point with the loss of his mother and with a father that the chapter before tried to kill him. And Isaac's probably never wanting to leave that tent again, right? He's like, I'm going to just stay here for a long time. And Isaac is actually one of our only patriarchs that's, ever, that's really never going to leave the land. He always stays in the land, and he refers to God oftentimes as the fear. But this is this moment where God's going to show Isaac that he is often also the God that brings love. And this relationship comes right in the midst of all that is life. This is life. Genesis 24 comes in the midst of Genesis 23 and 25. And when we think about how we feel like our life with God should go, we rarely add, and there will be the passing of my parents. There will be the loss of people I deeply love. We instead just go, okay, if I follow Jesus and if I do all these things exactly the way I'm supposed to do them, then won't all of this work out? And we never have people point out to us that right in the middle of the story, the love story, as we go to that conference on singlehood and how to find our own Isaac or our Boaz or whomever it is, not that Boaz, the Boaz with Ruth, right? And we find our own people in the midst of all of those stories. When we go to all those conferences, nobody ever points out that this story happens right in the midst of real life that there's loss and death on both sides of this story. And it's, it's complicated. So what do we do when we're surrounded by death? What do we do when it's everywhere we go, when it's, when it's behind us and it's in front of us? And by the way, that's really true of all of us, right? There's not one person on the face of this earth that's not going to die. Sorry, mortality rate, 100%, right? I wish we talked about it more because I feel like I need to be prepared for the thing that I keep trying to avoid, but I know it's going to happen. How can I be assured of his promises when I'm surrounded by the reality of loss and pain and death? Well, the first thing that we learn from the servant is that we pray, right? This servant, this unnamed servant is this first person that just starts to pour out and say, God, I really need you right now, and I'm going to be really specific, and I need you to do this specific thing. So if you are feeling like you're starting to get bound in between that, which doesn't make a lot of sense, and maybe the loss isn't yet the loss of a loved one, but maybe the loss is is the loss of a dream that's not happening the way you thought it was going to happen. Maybe it's that you aren't yet married and you thought you would be this by this time. Maybe it's that you are married and you thought it'd be a lot different than it is. Maybe it's that you don't have the job yet, that you're sitting there waiting for the bills to get paid. And maybe it is real loss. In all of those situations, what do we do? The servant says, cry out, pray. And he gives us this beautiful example of just this heartfelt prayer. The next thing that we can do in these situations is we can look for faithful people. And this is exactly what the servant goes to do. He goes to the watering hole, right? He goes to the water cooler. This is exactly where we would go today. The function of the well today, right? Sit down and start to chat. He goes to the place in the evening time where the women are going to come and they're going to get the water. And he's going to try to find this person. But he's going to look for a specifically faithful person because he's prayed a specific prayer. And actually, the well in ancient time functions in this really interesting way, right? The watering hole, just like we talk about bars and water coolers today, it's that same kind of way. And if we look through the Bible, the reason why this talk is called Well, Well, Well is because we have Rebecca doing something really amazing at a well, and then in Genesis 29, Jacob, and then in Exodus chapter 2, Moses. And in each of these well situations, we're going to find that they're going to get betrothed. And the situation's going to be a little different each time. So Rebecca is going to do this Herculean effort, and she's going to water 10 camels. But Jacob's going to be required to move a giant stone that no one else can move. And then Moses is going to fight off these bad shepherds. And in each case, they're going to end up with betrothals afterwards. So this, the well puts on display what a faithful person looks like. The well, this moment puts on display what it looks like to not just say, that person's nice. Oh, isn't it nice that they scored this on the Myers Briggs? Oh, we'll get really connected this way. Instead, we're looking for faithful people, people who take action, men and women of action who end up demonstrating that they are who they say they are. And in Rebecca's case, we find out that she's not only beautiful, but she's trustworthy. She's purposeful in her actions. She takes initiative. She addresses the servant. She's courteous. She's kind. She gives him drink, draws water for the camels. She risks. She goes. She gives consent. She returns with the servant. She marries Isaac. She's thoughtful and a planner. And that's going to all come into our next Rebecca story with Jacob and Esau. Rebecca is a woman of action and she takes action. So when that servant shows up, he's looking for faithful people. When you and I are in the midst of that despair, when we're trying to find a place where we can start to see how, what do we do when when death and loss and disappointment is on all sides? We pray, and then we look for faithful people. Who can I go and start to align myself with? Who is living a life of faithfulness so that they can encourage me, and they can help me to live a life of faithfulness as well? And then we're going to stop, and we're going to look for God's faithfulness. We're going to go where the love is. And that's what Isaac does. In this story, he's lost his mom. He's about to lose his dad. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 4, when Abraham gives this charge to his servant, those are Abraham's last recorded words. And they're very much sounding like a deathbed confession. Like he knows he's on his way out. And Isaac's got to know that too. And in that loss, when, when Rebecca comes, Isaac goes where the love is. He loves Rebecca and he finds a way to start to live that love out in his life When you and I are surrounded by loss when we're surrounded by disappointment when we don't know which way is up We're going to pray. We're going to look for faithful people and we're going to go where the love is Have you ever been with somebody that knows to find the life in the room? You know, the moment that you start hanging out with them and you're, and you're in a room, you know that if you walk into a room like this together, that that person's going to go find the other person in the rooms that's full of that love and full of that life, and they're going to meet and talk together. What if you and I could be that person that could naturally gravitate and go where the love is? And let's seek comfort from his people. It says that Isaac was comforted after the loss of his mother in the love that he had with Rebecca. This is what we get to do for one another, you guys. You and I, if we're not in that space where we're feeling pressed in by loss and pressed in by questions, guess who we get to be? We get to be the ones that bring the comfort. We get to be the ones that bring love. We get to be on the lookout for those people in our lives as we're staring, we're fighting, you we can see. You can see when somebody's in the midst of grief and loss. You can see that on their face. You can see when they're struggling with something. And when you and I are in that place, we get to say, well, I'm not there right now, but I might be tomorrow. So I'm going to go and I'm going to bring love and I'm going to bring comfort. And I'm going to start to bring that through my faithful action. And then we remember his promises. Because the real question in this entire thing is, will God be faithful? Because Sarah has died, and Abraham is about to die. And we see that maybe there's a promise of land, but we don't really have all of it. We have this tiny little place that's a grave. And we're so concerned. I mean, Isaac doesn't yet yet have children to pass along. Where's the promise, God? How will you fulfill it? Well, when we're stuck in those places, we're going to remember that God is faithful. And we may not see it the way we want to see it, and it may not even in many ways happen in our lifetime. But when you stand back and you look at the grand narrative of history, when you start to see how God has been acting, he's the central character of this story from Genesis through Revelation, we can start to see how God has been faithful. And find the other ways where even if it's not happening in the one way that we want it to happen right now, that he's being faithful in these other ways in between. He's promised and been faithful in all these little ways. Well, well, well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to be encouraged by this story in your word. Lord, I pray that in this room, those of us who are hurting would find comfort and would find your love and your faithfulness. Those of us who are in places of strength would be able to be that comfort and love for your kingdom and your glory alone. God, give us eyes that see and ears that hear that we might build more of your kingdom here on earth and help us continue to embrace the truth of your promises um, even when we don't see them right in front of us. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.